This morning our passage is found in Psalm 139. Um, just to give a little bit of a heads up of what's happening and where we're going, I'm, this will be my last psalm to cover this summer. Next Sunday, Brent Corbin will be here preaching Psalm 27, and then Shane will be preaching the Sunday after that. That gives me a couple of study weeks to get ready for 1 Corinthians, the, uh, the messy, or a messy congregation for this messy congregation. So we are looking forward to that series. We will end with Psalm 139 as far as my summer series is concerned. Um, and in this psalm, David is doing what the title of the, song, of the sermon is. He's practicing the presence of God. And the question I want you to be thinking about as we read Psalm 139 is how does your theology play into your actual life, your practical life? Theology is just a fancy word for your thoughts of God, your belief about God. How does that inform your daily life? With that in mind, let's listen to Psalm 139, and I'll read it and just follow along there in your Bibles. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand down upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous ways in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, what a profound psalm. We praise you for David, for your, more importantly, for your spirit inspiring David and giving us these words and illuminating them to our minds and eyes this morning. But our hearts are nervous. There's language in here that makes us nervous. So I pray your spirit would attend to this sermon, that we would see what you mean in this passage, that we could 
walk with you in all of our ways. Amen. John Calvin wrote uh, a book called Calvin's Institutes. That's what you do. You write your own book and then you call it Your Institutes. His are really famous. Yours probably wouldn't be as famous. He, um, what he did, Calvin, is he, he was in the Reformation and he was the first guy to systematize the theology. That means taking all this stuff and saying, let me package it according to topic. But he starts off this amazing work with this simple phrase, this simple thought. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. What he's, what he's getting at is, very simply, you can't really say you know God and at the same time not know yourself. And you can't say you really know yourself, but you have no thoughts of God. Both are impossible. So in order to grow as a Christian, we grow in tandem. We grow closer to God, but we're also at the same time seeing our sin and our need for growth, aren't we? And we're growing at the same pace and at the same time. And so Psalm 139 is a picture of David practicing his theology. He's seeing, he's working out his theology in really difficult circumstances right before our very eyes. And what he's essentially doing is he's making God big and his enemies and his concerns small, which is what we need to do. And so I hope that this morning we'll, we'll see that this theology of making God big is, this is going to sound a little cheesy, it's learning to be known by God. I, I think we think to ourselves, well, God's omniscient, omnipresent, um, he, he knows everything, he sees everything, so I don't really have to show him anything, right? He sees it already. But what David is revealing to us is we actually do need to Show him everything. And when we do, and when we allow ourselves to be known by God, then we'll flourish in our Christian lives. We'll grow. And we'll love others. And we'll be able to share the gospel and live the life God's called us to live in the way everlasting. So let's jump in to this psalm. I'm, I'm just going to work through it. Uh, I don't know that I have any perfect set of points. But the first thing we're going to notice is the ending. Maybe you noticed it because it went really from being a pretty cool psalm to like, Whoa, what just happened? I don't know if you all noticed that moment. But in verse 19, right? Um, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Uh, o men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. David clearly has a problem. That's important. If you read the psalm and you stop before that, you'll think he's just pontificating on theology, which is wonderful to do. But actually, he's revealing that he has this problem. There are these people that are trying to get rid of him. There are these people on the attack. He's the king of Israel. And there's a problem with people that are wicked, whether in his kingdom, trying to take him over at different times, or whether it's an external enemy, we aren't sure. But nonetheless, he has a predicament. And what he's showing in this psalm is he's putting to practice his theology. He's saying, God, you are sovereign. You are all-knowing. You are everywhere present. And, and that matters. In fact, that matters so much that you know who I am, that I am, I'm in partnership with you. So all of a sudden, these aren't just my enemies. These are our enemies. And we talked about that last week. And so have that mindset as you go forward. The problems you face in this life, if you're in Christ, are your problems and Christ's problems, right? They're your problems and God's problems. 
And so with that in mind, we can then work through this theology that David does. And the first thing David really opens up is uh, that God is exceedingly knowledgeable of him, intimately knowledgeable of him. Verse 1. Okay, by the way, if you're trying to follow me, you're like, what did he just do? We started with the negative, honestly, so I don't have to go back to it ever again. You can say, he covered the whole passage. He talked about that really hard part. But actually, that's the seedbed for all this good theology. So remember that. I'll come back to it. So David is now com- being comforted with this pain of these people, whoever they are, by the, the fact that God knows him intimately. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now, this is interesting. This really gives a few pieces of, of, of theology about who God is. God knows who David is. He searches him. He knows him. And the question I want to ask you is this. Who are you? Don't you hate that question? I, I really do. I mean, you know, like, what color are you? If you're a tree, what tree would you be? Or at interview time, you know, tell me about yourself. And you know, the guys, I've got three seconds to define who I am, you know. Um, why do we hate that question? Partly I hate that question because I, here's what I'm thinking. Who do you want me to be? If I had a little bit of insight, then I could tailor, you know. Like, who's your favorite band? Well, if I knew who your favorite band was and it was in one of my top 50, I'd probably lead with that, you know. So, how do you define yourself and what David is saying? You're defined, and here's the negative, I think slightly possibly negative. If you don't, we'll, we'll get to how it becomes positive later. You're summed up by who you are if someone were just watching you all the time. Right? Do you think of yourself that way? I tend to think of myself as, well, the stuff I want to tell you about me, my hobbies, you know, the things I like, etc. But David is saying, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. Now, God is, God is seeing David, David tells us, when David sits down. Now, most of us, if we could see, I just saw someone sit down. Okay? If, if I, then, here's what I tend to do. I tend to then move my attention elsewhere. Right? Later, I might look over and go, oh, I guess that person left. He grows up again, right? But God doesn't divert his attention. He just sits there. He's watching you sit. And then, when you rise up, God notices, and you're rising up. God is watching you 24-7. Okay, so God is watching you at all times. He's, he's interested in all of these things. He's observing when you lie down. You are, he says, David says, you are acquainted with all my ways. If that's not enough, it says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Now, not just teenagers, even adults, we don't know our words before they're formed, right? Uh, that, was, that was a really bad attempt at a joke. You know, kids are just running their mouth. But even adults, if you study linguistics, it, it's the formation of the word that actually gives you definition into the thought you're having. Right? It's hard to even express a thought until you find the word symbol for it. God is so amazing and so infinite, He knows the thought before you can even give the word to it. And more, I think more amazingly, He cares. I mean, I would be thinking, why are you even paying attention to my thoughts? I'm not. Why are you? But He is. Now, if you are then the content of what you do, and God is this God who is able to see you and, and watch you, does that create a little fear? I mean, do you want to be that known? How well do you want to be known? 
that's the question I think this entire psalm is asking. How well do you want to be known? And I think the answer is always going to be it depends on what you think, right? Um, we want to know we're going to be liked before we're exposed, right? But in the garden, God, a man and wife were known. They knew each other. They were naked together. They lived this life together. And then the fall happened. And when the fall happened, the, one of the first things they did was they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. And that shame exists in each of us today. And what makes shame so amazing is that so often it's not even tied to real sin, any real particular sin. So, for example, um, have you ever been driving down the road singing a song on the radio, just singing out loud and you're having a good time and then you realize someone's watching you from the car next to you? What changed? I mean, you're embarrassed. It's like, oh, God. You know, you roll the window up. Have you ever been, this is gross. Have you ever been picking your nose? No problem. Needs to be done. But when someone sees you picking your nose, you got a problem, right? But here's to me the most silly one that I just still don't know why I get embarrassed. But you're walking down the hall, everything's fine. Have you ever tripped and you're just flush? Like, did someone just see me trip? Like, as if there's this sort of top, I'm in the top ten of walkers. And I was really getting up there, but because I scuffed, you know, now I've dropped down a little bit. It's so embarrassing. I revealed that I'm not perfect at walking. All three of these examples are silly ways of saying we're really people who are constantly evaluating ourselves by how the world around us views us. A book I highly recommend is When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. And what he points out is that shame drives us to care more about what each of you think than what God thinks. And really when you unpack it, it really comes back to I care more about what I think of me than what God thinks of me because of shame. And you all become my peer group who tell me if I'm on the right track or not. Are my jokes working? Um, you know, are my hobbies working? Everything we do in life, we're trying to build ourselves up, our resume, to cover this shame, right? Now, that's not the only reason we do everything, but that's a hidden motive behind much of it. And when, and when we come back to this psalm, the fear is that if God could know us this well, right, every thought before it's formed, every action, won't he, won't he reject us? In fact, even David, uh, if you look at verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Commentators agree that he's not saying, I want to run from you, God, completely. But what he is saying is, part of me really does want to run from you. I mean, part of me knows it's futile, and that's what makes this psalm so amazing as he meditates. But part of it is, uh, you're going to reject me when you see me this close. And I want to hide. I love that about the darkness in verse 11. Surely the darkness shall cover me. Right? He's saying, surely when I go into the darkness, I'll be, in, I'll be covered and God can't see me. But as you know, God can see you through the dark and He can know you. And so my question to you is, what are you doing to cover your shame from God? What are your strategies? One way to figure that out is looking at your strategies on, with other people. What are your strategies for building yourself up with people? I think social media is the most obvious thing, right? I mean, how many of you put like your bad vacations on Facebook? I thought about, we did a staycation and I was watching 
part of the British Open and I had my feet up, I thought, I'm going to take a picture of my feet and put it on Facebook to say, here's what I did, you know. Everyone else is at the beach. I'm in the living room. Um, we don't want to show that stuff. We want to wait till we're at the beach. You know, we might even pull over and go to the beach and act like we were there all week, you know, just to look good on Facebook. Um, but not just Facebook. What about a job? I remember when I, uh, we returned from Japan, I had no job, and I felt just useless. And I remember a dear brother in Christ preaching the gospel to me, telling me, your identity is in Jesus. And it was like one year after the other. You know, I just thought, yeah, I don't have a job. I mean, I had, we had no children. There was really no major concern at that moment. Maybe Grayson was on the way, and we will probably t- test me. No, Grayson was. But then I had my first job. I became a pharmaceutical rep. That's like, in the world's eyes, at least at that period of time, like, wow, what do you do? I'm a pharmaceutical rep, you know? Really? Yeah, there's my car. See this coat? I mean, your identity just shifts. These are ways of building walls, right? Of being, I want you to know me by what I'm giving you, my job, right? Or my looks, or my home. We, we, we do the mad dash to clean as someone's coming over, as if that's the normal way the house looks, right? Of course not. But we want to project this image that we have it all together. Why do we do that? Because we are afraid that if we are known by the people we value, their opinion of us, if they know us, they're going to reject us, which stems from our shame, right, that we get from the fall. Do you see that? Is that something you're aware of in your life? I would love that sermons actually get response. Wouldn't that be great? No, I actually see it when we go around. I say that, but then there would be that offbeat answer, and I'd be like, how do I get it back? Okay. What about religiously? I mean, you're here, aren't you? How many of you think, I went to church today? I don't think we think it consciously, but we feel cleaner if we've gone to church. Right? We feel cleaner if our theology is better. I mean, the PCA, we have really good theology for those of you visiting, Unfortunately, we're so prideful that most of us got into this theology to beat people up with it. Because that feels really good. What are we doing to keep God at bay? Why why are we so afraid of Him rejecting us? Look at what it says in verse 14. This is probably one of the more 13 and 14 famous parts of this psalm. For you formed me in my inward parts, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That could also be set apart. But the point, Paul, the point, Paul, everybody's Paul. The point David is making is not just that you know me and you know my words and you know all the stuff about me and you're watching me, but you made me. You're my father. You love me, right? You care for me. And this, by the way, I honestly um, don't know how to work in. I mean, this proves that life is formed in the womb and before. That, and the value of life exists far before what we think. I mean, listen to what he goes on to say. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, verse 16. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What David is doing is he's meditating on his theology, recognizing my God is in control, my God knows me, 
my God sees problems, but he loves me. He knitted me together. He holds me. And David responds with, I give you praise. Is that our response to God? This reminded me, um, and I wanted to come back to the verse a minute ago, I, I mentioned a minute ago, where shall I go from your spirit? It really reminded me of something in, um, from John 6 that we've talked about before, where Jesus has just fed the 5,000 the, the day before. Remember, he sends his um, disciples across the lake, and then he secretly goes across the lake, and they, the people who were fed are frustrated. So they find him, and they, where did you go? And he says, truly, you're, I'm going to paraphrase, truly you're not seeking me because of the sign that I did before you. You want bread. You just want me to come around and give you bread. And when they start to realize there's more religious stuff going on, they say, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him on whom he has sent. And they begin to debate with him. And he, he explains, I am the bread of life. And so the question before us is what, what are you feeding on? What things are you looking to for your sustenance? Specifically your identity, right? Where do you think, what do you think defines you? And in this passage, what triggered it was when he finally goes into extreme detail of what it means to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, the, the followers just basically scatter. And you have like the, he, he turns to the twelve. And he says, do you want to go away as well? And do you remember what Peter says? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And that just reminds me of David. Where, where will I go from your spirit? This sort of hypothetical, like, where else could I go? And what Peter is saying is um, to Jesus, where else would I go for salvation? He heard that gospel message. And I hear that gospel message in Psalm 139 when David is saying, you have made me fearfully and wonderfully. You have made me. You have formed my days. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast are they. He's, he's relishing in his partnership with the Father because he is redeemed. And my question is, do you see yourself in that relationship with your Father? If we want to grow if we want to have this kind of intimacy with God, we have to make ourselves known to Him. Do you do that? I love Shane's confession of sin, all, all, mostly because I didn't have to confess my, my sin up there. But the tag, that's, I mean, when you buy pants, just everybody, take the tags off. I've done that too. The, you know, I, I forget it every time. But there is something shaming, isn't there? When you, you thought you looked a certain way and you get back to including the teeth, you know, uh, you're like, oh, I had that the whole night? Ah! Did anyone see it? And you start recounting who you talked to. Oh, I talked to them. Jesus looks at you and says, I saw it. It didn't bother me. I love you. Now, our sin bothers him, but he loves us and he's covered us and he's died for our sin and he's removed it. And so our shortcomings no longer change his view of us. Our Father now looks at us if we are in Christ and says, you are worse than you realize. You think that tag is all you had? You didn't realize that you had B.O., buddy, or whatever. You know, Not, not shame. You, you thought that food in your teeth, you said 42 comments that offended everybody. But I love you. I am yours. I know you. 
and you cannot expose anything to me that's going to shock you. So the challenge to us in light of this psalm is to go, God, if I can actually be known by you, then why wouldn't I actively share my darkest stuff with you? Lord, here are my thoughts. Here are the things I'm struggling with. You know them, but I don't. See, that's one of the interesting themes. God's thoughts of David are so vast, David says, if I were to even recount your thoughts, he means, I don't know as much about me as you know about me. So our job in the Christian life, in light of Christ and our salvation, is to dig. Say, Lord, show me more. Listen to how he finishes it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Not because I think you're going to find zilch. Right? He says, and see that there, if there are any grievous ways in me. I want to know all the ways I depart from you. And lead me in the way everlasting. Not, and I will improve. And I will take care of it. I will get rid of my sin. I will follow you. Is that your hope? Is that what, what we are doing in the Christian life? So practically, what does that look like? One of the things I've been saying this summer with the Psalms is you ha- we need to have some time with the Lord. Right? That, that can be a great thing, but usually, I'll be honest, it can be very painful. Because it's like a morning confrontation every single day. It's like, yay, I get to sit down and reveal my stuff. Do you ever feel that way? If your quiet times don't feel like that, there's maybe a little problem. You know, if oh, I enjoy reading the Psalms today and went on my way, there might be a little bit of a problem. Because when we go before the Lord, if we don't go, and I thought that, and I did this, and I struggled here, I raised my voice, I, I shouted, I said that horrible thing, that's what repentance is. And when you're confessing that sin, God is saying, I know. And it's far worse than you think, but I love you far more than you'll ever know. I'm leading you in the way everlasting. That's what it looks like practically. So what's the result of this? All of a sudden, God is not your enemy. Though secretly, many of you think He is. He's the lover of your soul. And the people you... you t- whenever you have any kind of problems in your life, anything goes wrong, something's bad, you turn to the people who've known you the longest, don't you? The people who know you the best. Your most recent friendships aren't the ones you, you pour out your heart to. It's the people you've known for years. And that's, God knows, knows you so much more than that. And as you develop this relationship of pouring your life out to Him, opening your heart to Him, you will fall so in love with Him that you will hate what He hates. And I think we're very much afraid of this enemy talk. Right? Because what we do is we think, well, does that mean I hate liberals? Or if you're a liberal. Does that mean I hate conservatives? That's what we do. Right? Or I hate people who think differently than me. Do I hate atheists now? No. We don't. We, we, we long for these people, the other side, whoever that is, anybody that doesn't know God, to grow in Christ. Well, the, I think really the way that starts is we hate the sin in ourselves. I mean, that's, that was the biggest conviction I had in reading this. Do you hate the sin in you? Or do you sort of give yourself the path? Oh, I see it in everybody else, but, uh, you know, I can only do so much. God is saying, 
what David is saying when he comes before God and he meditates on God and his love for him and God's omniscience and omnipresence and just his power and his glory and to know David infinitely, it leads him to hate the very thing that hates God. And that's what our flesh does. And my repentance for myself, and I hope your repentance for you, is that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. That we are so comfortable with our sin. We are so comfortable with our habits, our thoughts. I think we're just afraid. I think we're absolutely afraid to say, God, I want to confess this sin because we think to confess a particular sin means then we have to go change things. But will you trust the Father that He is leading you, He made you, He cherishes you, He formed you in your mother's womb, and He will lead you on home to glory. Let us walk with Him in this way. Let's pray. God, I am so scared to find blind spots. There's so many things I actually already see that I have plenty of opportunity to confess. But Lord, what the most beautiful thing of this psalm is is that you show us our sin as you've already planned on healing us. Your Son already has covered our sin through the cross. So when we see problems, when we see broken areas, we can rejoice. We're not beating ourselves up. We're running towards you. Father, I pray that we would all hunger and thirst for your righteousness, to fill us, to grow us, and to be the kingdom saints that you've called us to be. That the world around us would look individually and corporately at at this church and they would feel mercy and see grace. And they would want to know our God like we know you. Lord, I pray that we would have an intimacy with you like we've never experienced before. I pray to my dear brothers and sisters here this morning, that they would go away longing to know you better, realizing you're the only one who can know us and not reject us. Everybody else will, even our spouse. Lord, every human being apart from Jesus would reject us if they really knew us. Only you pursue and die for us and adopt us, that we may be whole again. Would you make this true this morning and this week? In your name we pray. Amen.